Let me first start by just thanking y'all personally. I appreciate Brother Steve saying that. You know, I know there's a lot of work that goes into preparing a conference like this, and most of the work none of us did, none of us saw it. But I know it, it's time you ladies cooking and rushing home to cook for the evening meal. So let me just thank you personally, and the Lord bless you for that. And uh, so thankful for this church. Brother Steve, Sister Marsha, and all of you for your kindness, um, which will not be forgotten. So I want to thank you for that. Amen. Let's open with prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. Oh God, I thank you for your grace and kindness. I don't deserve not one drop of it. But Father, you allowed me to enter into this fellowship if just for a few days. And to Father, to experience the love of Christ among your people. Lord, to hear your word preached from your faithful servants. And Father, to be able to fellowship around the lunch table. Oh God, I pray that you would help us tonight. Oh God, to attend upon thee without distraction. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that we would not be thinking about what's going to happen in an hour or what happened yesterday but Father that we would center focus our attention upon Thee for these few moments help us Father there's so many things helping our minds so much information Lord we need to be able to come apart and focus on one thing and that is You and so help us to do so thank You for Your cross Your precious shed blood Father thank You for Your great salvation of which you've made us partakers. Father, we want to see more come in. And so, Lord, help us to be those communicators, those ambassadors of Christ. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we would be in 2 Corinthians, but I want to have you go to Ephesians 3 first. I want you to see a prayer of the Apostle Paul. And before I read that prayer, I would ask you to think about this as I get ready to read it, what motivated you to come here tonight? <clears throat> what was your motivation? What is your motivation for gathering on the Lord's Day? On any Lord's Day, why do you come? Now I think we ought to ask ourselves questions. I like to ask myself questions. Especially in light of my Christianity. And I want to open with this prayer that Paul prayed for the Corinthian, uh, for the Ephesians, rather. In 3.14 of Ephesians, Paul prayed this prayer for the saints at Ephesus. And it is, what a prayer. Just listen, 3.14. Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love. Now listen, this is His prayer for them. That you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height 
and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. It's as if he's praying that you might know that which is not knowable naturally. That you might know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now I don't quite know how to interpret the fullness of that prayer, but I want it. You got to be able to read that and say, I want that. Sure. I want this, Lord. And verses 20 and 21 gives us the encouragement that this is possible. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think mm -hmm. according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus rather, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The Apostle Paul loved the saints of Ephesus. But there seems to have been a special love between the Apostle Paul and the saints of Corinth. When you read the Corinthian letters, you can see that. There seemed to have been a very special love for these saints. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians 16. Let me just show you a few passages. The last verse of the letter of 1 Corinthians. Look at it, see what it says. This is what Paul closes that letter with. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 1. Listen to Paul's heart. He says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you with heaviness. For if I make you sorry... Who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? Paul rebuked them very sternly in many ways in the first letter. He says, And I wrote this saying to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly to you. These writings of the Apostle Paul have inspired me and spoken to my heart. I want to love my church like Paul loved Christ. 7.12 of the same book. We'll look at two more references. 2 Corinthians 7.12. <clears throat> Paul says, Wherefore... Though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. He cared for this church. He loved this church. And one of the most touching passages, 2 Corinthians 12, 14, this is one of the most touching passages in which Paul writes to the saints of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 14, he says, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. Yes. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. That ought to be the heart of every pastor. Yes. I want that to be my heart. I want that to be my heart for you tonight. I want you to know the love of Christ. I want you to know the love of Christ for me. 
So he says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. There were those that wouldn't open their hearts to Paul. Paul says in chapter 7, I think, or chapter 5, or it's in there, my heart is enlarged toward you. For he told the saints, you have not let me in. You have not let me in. Now we know that the Apostle Paul suffered many things in his ministry. He suffered. He risked his life. He was stoned. We know the things that happened to Paul. And now to the text in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 13. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5, 13. <clears throat> Paul says, For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Remember I asked you what motivated you to come here tonight? Well, I want you to see what motivated Paul. Yes. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Yes. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore hence... Fourth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth know we him no more. So Paul says, this is why I'll be stoned and I'll risk my life. He says, because I love Christ. And the love of Christ constrains me and I love you, Corinthian people. But back to us now. What motivates you and carries you along in your Christian life? Again, why did you come here tonight? What is it that controls you in all that you do? I think we ought to think about these things. Is it duty? Is it just that you're going to be responsible and committed? You're just going to be where you should be? You're going to do the right thing? That's good. Or do you do what you do in your Christian life because of Christ's great love for you. And because you love Him for loving you, and now you desire to please Him in all that you do. Paul wrote, the love of Christ constrains me. If you're a child of God, you should be constrained by the love of Christ as well. Now it sounds like a bound up thing. You're constrained, forced, but that's not what it is. Listen, the Apostle John wrote about the love of Christ which should be in us, and which should come forth from all of our lives. It should govern us. It should compel us. It should seize us. But we should love it at the same time. Look at 1 John 3, 16. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. <clears throat> Remember what Paul told the Ephesians or what he prayed for them, that you might know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. When you know it, only then will you be constrained by it. First John 3.16, look, Paul said, Here, John, Paul, John, hereby perceive we the love of God. Here's how we know it. Here's how we are sure of it. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, 
neither in tongue, in other words, don't just talk about it, right. but let us love in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Chapter 4, verse 7, look at it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. I love the Apostle John. He's cut and dry. There's no gray area here. In this was manifest of the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now look at verse 15 and 16. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Now you got to park there. I mean, we're going to move on, but you have to think about these passages. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. And listen, if we know that and we believe that, that ought to do something in us. Listen, if we're born of God, Romans 5, 3 says, The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And so that love can't just remain bottled up. It's going to come out. And so, brethren, that's what I want you to see tonight. Paul said, it is the love of Christ that constrains me. So listen, beloved. This is how you will live if the love of Christ is with you. You'll love your brethren. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Can that be said about you and I? Can people see your deportment, your conduct, your conversation in the world? And can, can they see and say, yeah, we see it. It's a different love that's in him. <clears throat> and listen, the love of God is otherworldly. It's not from this world. It's a love that can be stomped on and trampled on and hated and it continues. So that's the type of love that will be in us. That's the love of Christ. And that's the love that should be in us. And that's the love that should constrain us in all that we do. That love of Christ, it endures. It's powerful. It's strong because it's not from us. But it's given unto us by God's Spirit. And that's what flows out of us and should flow out of us. So that's how we should love our brethren. That's how we should love those that hate us and mistreat us abuse us. And that's that love that should be true of us. Listen, one more place, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, you know this. But listen, this should be true of, of every one of us. Paul says this, just listen, charity or that agape love suffereth long. And listen, when you read passages like this, you must ask yourself these questions. Is this me? In other words, that's what I want to do. And listen, listen, we've got to be real here. There's oftentimes I have to bow my head and say, no, Lord, that wasn't me today. I failed. I wasn't long-suffering. 
But charity, the love of Christ in me, suffers long and is kind. You know, sometimes God sends those people into your life and it's just difficult to be around. And God sent them there on purpose so that you could exercise charity. Yes. And listen, that's what we that's what we should have, brethren, that love of Christ. So charity suffers long, it's kind, it envies not, it doesn't vaunt itself, it's not boastful, it's not puffed up and arrogant and rude. It doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. You ever get easily provoked? These things ought to convict us. It convicts me when I'm easily provoked. Charity rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. The love that comes from Christ does not fail. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. And that's what the scriptures teach us in Romans. If you are constrained by Christ's love, if Christ's love has seized you in your heart and taken control of you, this is who you will be in your life. Now, let me read you a quote from old Charles Spurgeon. I love this. He says this of this passage, this kind of constraint implies no compulsion and involves no bondage. It is the highest order of freedom. For when a man does exactly what he likes, he expresses his delight generally in language like this. And though he is perfectly free to leave it, he will commonly declare that he cannot leave it. When the love of Christ constrains us, we have not ceased to be voluntary agents, but we are never so free as when we are under bonds to Christ. Man, I love that quote from old CHS. But now, chapter 14, look at it there. In 2 Corinthians, if you get yourself back there. So let's move on to why Paul was constrained by the love of Christ. He says there in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. This is why Paul was constrained to live for Christ, because Christ was the one that died for him. It was Christ's death for him, his shed blood for him on the cross, that convinced Paul of Christ's love for him. Think about it. Christ died for you. He shed his blood for you. And that means Christ died in your place. Listen, some of these things that are common knowledge to us, we must not just pass them over. Beloved, we need to park on these things, meditate upon these things, muse upon these things, immerse ourselves in these things. The more we do, the more we'll know that love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Christ died in your place. Christian, for the guilt and punishment of your sins. His love for you was so great that he voluntarily laid aside his divinity. He descended into the world to satisfy God's justice and wrath on your behalf. Hence, Christ is the one 
as Paul writes here, who died for all, which is another way of saying Christ is the Savior of the world. Now you note here, there's three alls in verses 14 and 15. He says that if one died for all, then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but they should live unto him which died for them and rose again. Now let me first say something about one dying for all. Paul was not teaching us here that Christ died for all without exception, but he was teaching us that Christ died for all without distinction. He died for some of every sort. Paul was teaching us that Christ was not the Savior of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Yes. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, it was quoted today. So all that the Father giveth me, God's elect shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again at the last day. So the scripture says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And his meaning is for Jews and Gentiles. We know that from 1 John 2, 1 and 2, 2. He died not for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this is one of my favorite passages to go to, Revelation 7, 9. You can go there or you can just listen either Revelation 7-9 or Revelation 5-9. If you wanted to find the world, for God so loved the world, I would define it here. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, or 5 verse 9, John writes here, and After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. I think that's a great passage to go through. For God so loved the world. A people out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Christ was Paul's Lord and Savior. Christ, saith Paul, died for me. Therefore, my life is now completely devoted to Him. Is that you? Is your life completely devoted to Christ? If He is your Lord and Savior, your life should be completely devoted to Christ. Because of His great love for me, saith Paul, and this should be me, I am constrained and compelled to live for Him. But then also in verse 14, if you're there in Revelation 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, keep getting my books confused here. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, there's this other all. If one died for all, then we're all dead. Now what does this mean? Was Paul speaking of us all when we were dead in our trespasses and sins? Is that what he's talking about here? It seems like that could be the meaning. 
I mean, that's the condition of every lost sinner. We're born dead in our trespasses and sins, and you hath he quickened who were dead in our trespasses and sins. In John chapter 5 and verse 24, our dear brother read that today, which speaks of salvation. In John chapter 5, verse 24, I'll just read it to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life, spiritual death to eternal life. So is that what Paul's speaking of here in 2 Corinthians 5.14 when he says that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Even when we were dead in our sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. Listen, until the time of our new birth, again, we were all dead in our sins, alienated from the life of God. But I don't believe that's the dead here that Paul's speaking of. I don't think it fits the context, and I don't believe that's what he's speaking of, of us being dead in our trespasses and sins. So what do I believe that Paul's talking about here? Paul wrote of us being united to Christ in his death on the cross. Believers. And also of our union with Christ in his resurrection. See, the scriptures teach that when Christ died on the cross, you, believer, his church, his elect, you died with him. So here in verse 15, Paul did not write about your condition when you were lost. He wrote about the certainty of what happened to you when Christ died on the cross. All of those for whom Christ died, died with him. Died when he died on the cross. I want you to understand that. But understand this. This death in your life was not realized. It was not experienced until you turned from your sins to Christ. Until you believed Christ. Until you were quickened. By the Spirit of God, you believe the gospel. Until you were supernaturally saved and born again by the Spirit of God. Think about it. We were all once united to Adam. Isn't that right? We're all born united to Adam. We heard that again from our dear brother. We were united to Adam in our lost condition. His sin was our sin. His death in Eden was our death. We were born that way. In fact, go to Romans chapter 5. I think I'm following some of these passages that our Brother Royce was in today. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Look at it. <clears throat> Remember, we're talking about what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.14. If one died for all, then we're all dead. Romans 5.12. Wherefore, is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, look down in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So there's the contrast of us being in Adam and then us being in Christ. Verse 18, Therefore is by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. 
Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, knowing this to be true, brethren, and in fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 comes to mind as well. I'll just read that to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So knowing this to be true of you and me in Adam, now understand in this text, child of God, that Paul wrote of your union with Christ as a believer. You were united to Christ in his death, and now you are united to Christ in his resurrection in your life. You died with Christ, and now you live with Christ. Look at Romans 6. I love this passage. One of my favorite passages in all the Word of God, Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Romans 6, look at it there. Romans chapter 6. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. And listen, that's talking about you and me. And listen, here's a question to ask yourself. Am I walking in newness of life? Well, I should be. Because I have new life in me. I'm no longer the same person that I used to be. Now I'm constrained by the love of Christ. Yes. I'm seized by it. I love the love of Christ. I used to love the world. I was constrained by the world. I was seized by the world. The God of this world. And I went after it. With all my heart. To my shame. How much more should we not be constrained and compelled by the love of Christ? And listen, this is a biblical fact that when, if you're in Christ and you profess to be a Christian and you've been born again by the Spirit of God, the old you died on the cross. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a deliberate Christian life. Yes. I live it by faith. Nobody's going to live your life for you. You've got to live it yourself, child of God. Verse 6, Paul says, Romans 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Listen, this is where your faith needs to take hold of this. You need to say, listen, this is being written about me. I'm a believer in Christ. My old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. 
Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now here's your part, Christian. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the imperative. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Colossians 2.20 Just a few more passages. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul says, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? And then, of course, Colossians 3 and verses 1 to 4, If you then be risen with Christ, risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The old you is dead. You need to reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. And so 2 Corinthians, back to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, Paul says, And that he died, he died for all, that they which live, should, live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Here's one of God's great designs in Christ's death for his people. First, that they might be saved and forgiven for their sins, reconciled to God. And then that they should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. <coughs> Listen, you're bought with a price. Yes. And you need to reckon that. Yes. I'm not my property anymore. Guess what? I don't want to be my property. Yes, amen. I'm bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. Beloved, that's how we ought to live. The, listen, the old Jimmy doesn't exist anymore. People should meet you who knew you when you were lost, and they, they should say, yeah, he's, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's him. It's kind of like him. It's like a blind man, remember? It's... Is that your son? Well, yeah, he's like him. He's different. And so, beloved, when people that have known us when we're lost and when they meet us again, they should know that there's something conspicuously yes. different about this person is a radical now. Mm -hmm. They're not the same anymore. And some of your friends will go away from you because of the radical love of Christ that is now in you. You're different. You don't have the same nature anymore. You have a new nature. He's given you, in fact, you've been made a partaker. Peter says, we read it yesterday, 
you've been made a partaker of the divine nature. He's given you that foundation for godliness and love. He's given you the love of Christ within you. Beloved, that's who we should be. Christians no longer live for themselves. Christians live for Christ. You might say, well, I didn't bargain for that. And listen, if you think like that, you need to go back and see if you really did believe Christ. Yes. Examine yourself. Yes. Because, listen, somebody that says, no, nah, you know, I didn't count the cost. Well, you didn't. Because Jesus says, if you don't forsake all, you cannot. Yes, you cannot be my disciple. Well, I don't want to, just, I don't want to be a disciple. I just want to be saved. No, no, being saved is a disciple. It's the same thing. There's no difference. There are no bench warmers. They're not, there's not a stadium. You come to Christ, you're on the field. Take up your armor and press forward, beloved. That's who we should be. So Christians no longer live for themselves. Christians live for Christ. Why? They're constrained by Christ's love to do so. And the old you died. He was crucified with Christ. And you can tell people that. The old me, that, that my sins and everything was crucified with Christ. So now I live, but it's not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Beloved, that needs to be every one of us. And so go into your secret prayer closet and cry out to the Lord. Pour out your soul. But listen, you can't do it because I said to do it. I tell people this. Look, you can't just go do what I say. It's got to be you that wants to do it. Yes. You have to help. ask God for His help and for His grace. When you're thinking wrong, you've got to say, Lord, I'm thinking wrong. God loves to hear prayers like that. I'm thinking wrong, Lord. Change my thinking. Change me, Lord. That's what the Lord Loves to hear prayers like that. First Peter says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. And then Romans 14, and I'll be done here in a moment. Romans 14 and verse 7. Paul says here, For none of us liveth to himself. And no man dieth to himself. Christian, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Man, that's got to be your anthem. You've got to take a flag and stick it in the ground. And that's me, Lord. Paul finished in verse 16. He said, Wherefore, in 2 Corinthians, Wherefore, henceforth, from now on, know we no man after the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5. We don't value and we don't esteem anyone as to their lineage and of their birth. Paul goes on to say, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth, Know we him no more. We no longer look at people through carnal eyes, through fleshly eyes. It was as if Paul was saying here, don't tell me that you're Abraham's descendants. Do you believe in Christ? 
This is the this is the only thing that matters. Yes. Not your lineage, not your birth, not because you're a preacher's kid, not because you go to this church, not your status. No, do you believe in Christ? Yeah. There's no ethnicity, there's no fleshly privilege in the kingdom of Christ. And I think that's what Paul meant when he wrote that here, when he said, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. In fact, in Galatians, let me just read this one passage. There's others, but for the sake of time, I'll read this one. Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, he says, For we are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles. Yes. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now listen, there were still those that gloried in the flesh or in circumcision or in their family lineage or in outward appearances. But Paul dealt with that. He says, none of that matters in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.12, he says, for we commend not ourselves again to you, but we give you occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. And so, brethren, verse 17 is where Paul ends up. He says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And you know the context from which that comes. The old man is dead. The old Jew is dead. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. The old life is passed away. The old loves are passed away. I'm no longer of the world. I'm under a new king. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what motivates you tonight? What's going to motivate you when you walk out of the doors? When you go and it's just you and you're all alone. I pray that the love of Christ has seized you. I pray that you know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. And that you would comprehend it. Listen, you're going to have to walk with God. You're going to have to cry out to your Heavenly Father. He's the one that reveals it. He's the one that gives it. But listen, we as children of God, we ought to have a desire to be seized by the love of Christ. Yes. To be constrained by it. To go out and live that love in the world. The love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, should be flowing out of our bellies like living water. Mm. Beloved, it should be coming out of our lives. I pray that it does. Beloved, there's nothing sweeter. I love the Song of Solomon. When you read the Song of Solomon, when you there's the expressions of the love between the bride and the bridegroom. We could get into all that, but it's a picture of Christ's love for His church and the church's love for Christ, the bridegroom. I pray that that would be in you. It should be in you. If you're a Christian, can I say it is in you? And so, I pray the love of Christ constrains you this night. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, please help us. I pray that you would make sense of my words, Father, if I stumbled and if I said things more better wrong. I just pray, Father, that you would help your people, O oh God. I pray that you would speak to every precious soul in this little church. Bless my dear brother as he comes to preach afterward. 
again, thank you for this church and their love for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.